What's up, listeners? Thank you for tuning in to my special episode of Plantings. If this is your first time here, hello and welcome. And if you are tuning in again, thank you and welcome back. The Plantimals podcast focuses on animals and plants not being able to adapt to climate change. I am here to use my platform to voice the importance for animals and plants who cannot do it for themselves. My passion for plants and animals has only heightened during the fight for climate change because within our society getting behind the fight, this will prove that together we are all in this together. This topic is very important because without plants and animals able to reproduce, us as humans are at a lack of everyday resources that we need to live. They release oxygen into the atmosphere. They absorb carbon dioxide. They provide habitat and food for wildlife and us as humans. And they lastly regulate the water cycle. Because of the many ways that plants and animals help the environment, their importance should not be forgotten. In this episode, we are going to be discussing how plants and animals cannot adapt to climate change with emphasis on animal reproduction. We'll be diving into the main source of why climate change is halting animal reproduction by the warming of the earth, as well as the warming of the ocean. My goal here is to shine a light on the issue and bring awareness and influence you to fight for climate change, to not only help us have a better home, but for the animals to have a better home as well. Animal environment is affected by climactic factors. This includes temperature, humidity, radiation, and wind. Extremes in climate alter energy transferred between the animal and its environment can heavily affect its reproduction. Focusing on animals on land, specifically livestock systems, is based on grazing, mixed farming systems, or industrialized systems will be more and more negatively affected by climate change, more specifically global warming. In the last quarter century, the livestock sector was focused on improving productivity, modifying the environment, and improving nutritional management rather than improving stress resistance. This approach dramatically increased the productivity of domestic animals, but also increased their sensitivity, which reduced their thermal plasticity to hot environments. This process, by which domestic animals respond to change in their environment are critical to survival, but often negatively affect productivity and profitability of the livestock systems. Extensive and intensive livestock production systems will be affected differently by climate change, and thus different adaptation strategies must be implemented. Heat stress undoubtedly negatively affects animal health and wellness. A hot environment affects farm animal health and further describes the direct and indirect effect of heat stress. 
The direct effects are due primarily to increased temperatures and frequency and intensity of heat waves. These environment conditions can affect livestock health by causing metabolic disruptions, stress, and immune suppression, causing infections, and even worse, death. It is suggested that cooling must be combined with other treatments to improve fertility. In particular, treatments for improving the timing of ovulation enhance removal of impaired follicles. In induction of ovulation of healthy follicles, embryo transfer, and supplementation before and after artificial insemination may be needed to improve fertility of heat-stressed dairy cows. This topic is very upset and very sad. It makes me so upset that cows may not be able to reproduce baby calves due to the heat stress they're experiencing in their environments. <sighs> Sorry guys, before we continue, I just had to tell you guys about this new lavender laundry detergent that I'm using. And it just smells immaculate. And the best thing about it is that it's from Target. Target's in-house household essential brand Everspring is all about sustainability and straightforward comprehension. The packaging includes easy to understand ingredients lists so you know what's in the product and what's not. And the majority of the bottles are made up of 50% or more recycled content. Isn't that amazing? Everything is Target Clean compliant, formulated without certain chemicals often found in cleaning product, products, such as parabens. Plus, the product just looks nice. The Everspring line features more than 70 items, wow, including laundry detergents, which I have, soaps, paper towels, and candles, and the candles smell amazing and nothing more than $12. Can you guys believe that? New products are added throughout the rest of the year so you can expect to find seasonal limited time only scents popping up. Thank you Target Everspring for sponsoring this week's episode. All right let's get back to the podcast. As we dive into the ocean, we're gonna talk about how water temperature directly affects life cycles, reproductive periods, and the metabolism of organisms living in the oceans, specifically in the surface zones. Water temperature affects sexual reproduction through changes in the energy storage and the development cycles. Overall, the energies transferred from the mother colonies to the offspring may decrease, negatively affecting their potential to settle, metamorphosize, and feed during the first months of their lives, eventually impairing the dominance of a long-living suspension feeders in shallow bethnic habitats. For example, studies of the Mediterranean focus on the effects of climate change, concluded that warming of water masses affect the marine ecosystems. 
being complex to the distinguished effects of the local anthropic activities from those due to natural events. Focusing more in the Atlantic, the American Research Group is warning that the rise in fishing gear entanglements among the North Atlantic right whales is hurting the ability of endangered species to reproduce and care for their young. The new report of the Wood, Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution explores the top threats to the whales during the species calving season, which began in mid-November and lasts around April 15th, and which takes place off the southern coast of the United States. It is important to recognize that these ocean animals are being affected by the warming of the ocean, and we must make change so that these animals do not go extinct. As we continue on with the Atlantic and the whale focus, I now would like to discuss some quotes in the media relating to animal reproduction, specifically talking about whales. Michael Moore, a senior scientist with the organization and co-author of the report called Saving the North Atlantic Right Whale, stated that 10% of the species had been lost in the past four years. He said, whales waste valuable energy escaping and healing from entanglements instead of using that energy to raise and feed calves. You're not going to get the recovery of a species if you just stop killing them. You've also got to give a chance to get them pregnant and reproduce and fill the cohort, he said in a recent interview. The management has become more complex because climate warming has changed. Where the right whale's food is more abundant so that the right whales have to change their movement path, Moore said. That means that whatever migration was there, however it was efficient, has failed to adequately move with them. Now that I've discussed animals on land and animals in the ocean, I now want to make the switch over to plants. It is important that we recognize if we do not reduce our carbon emission and instead allow global temperatures to rise, up to half of the plants in some of the world's most biodiverse areas could go extinct by 2100, according to a new study. In fact, even if we are unable to limit global warming, due to the Paris Climate Agreement, which is which is goal of two degrees Celsius, areas such as the Amazon and the Galapagos could still lose one quarter of their species, says researchers, who studied the effects of climate change on 80,000 plants in, thir in 35 areas. Now, as temperatures warm, their migrations could fall out of sync with the bloom time of the nectar-producing plants that they rely on for food. 
When some plants encounter the impacts of climate change in their environment, they respond to by changing behavior and moving to a cooler area, modifying their physical bodies to better deal with heat or altering the timing of certain activities to match changes in the new seasons. New research shows that seasonal plants can adapt quickly, even genetically, to show changing climate conditions and reveals various mechanic mechanisms by which they control their growing response when the weather shifts. The study suggests, however, that longer-lived plants have a tougher time going with the flow. Plant evolutionary biologist Stephen Franks of the University of California, Irvine, and his colleagues tested the weedy field mustard introduced to California from the desert of the Mesopotamia by the way of the Mediterranean climes through 300 years ago. The plant is a survivor, thriving from the marshes to the near desert. The scientists gathered seeds from the plant in 1997, just before a five-year drought struck in the 2000s. They gathered seeds again post-drought in 2004 to see what had changed during the drought. In effect, the plants had shifted to flowering a few days earlier to take full advantage of the short wet season in dry years. This change was even more marked more than full weeks earlier for plants that originally derived from a population that enjoyed wetter conditions, conditions in a California marsh. According to the studies finding published online January 8th in a proceeds of the National Academy of Sciences, this is good news for annual species like the field mustard. They can adapt quickly to climate change, but poorly for longer lived plants, such as the California redwoods, that might not be able to change fast enough to keep up. They stated, we are going to see shifts, we're going to see shifts in ranges, Frank says. Species run into barriers like deserts or mountains, and they just sort of run out of room. They're not going to be able to evolve or migrate fast enough to keep up with climate change. Well, I guess my understandings of plants might seem to hinder with this research, but it only seems that only certain types of plants can do this, alike animals, are able to adapt within climate change. Though there's only a certain amount that can, more research needs to be done to conduct. All right, everyone, we are going to move on to the next segment in this episode, which is by far my favorite, where I bring in a special guest for the week who is a skeptic to discuss the topic. This week's special guest is a dear friend of mine, and her name is Allie.
Hi, Allie. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, Delaney. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here and talk with you about animals. You and I both can talk for hours about this, so thank goodness we both have our platforms to do so. Wow, I can't believe it has been six years that we have been out of college and two years since we just sat down together to do your podcast, talking about animals being mistreated in the circus. Do you want to tell my listeners how we met? Yes, of course I do. It all started with an 8 a.m. college lecture that we happened to sit next to each other at on our very first day of junior year. It is crazy because it feels like it was yesterday. We were sitting in our zoology class. In that moment, I never would have guessed we would have found our passion for animals. And ever since then, we have been inseparable. I know, isn't it great? We are both so fortunate that we both get to use our platforms to raise awareness for our passion for animals. Now, before we begin, do you want to talk a little bit about yourself so that my listeners get a better understanding of who you are? Yes, of course. I would love to. So I studied at Sonoma State University with Delaney, where I got my degree in zoology. From there, I have been working for People for the Ethics of the Treatment of Animals, also known as PETA, since graduation. I work undercover visiting different film sets to discover the true treatment of these animals. Though I have a passion for animals, I will admit that I am also a big skeptic about certain things. Delaney and I sometimes never agreed on certain topics, which is why I am here today. Allie, thank you so much for introducing yourself. And yes, thank you again for being here today to share your thoughts about plants and animals not being able to adapt to climate change. Shall we begin? Let's dive right into it, Delaney. Allie, would you like to start off with your ideas first? Sure. So unlike Delaney, I believe that animals can react to climate change in only three ways. One, they can move, two, they adapt, or three, they die. Oh, wow, Allie, that was harsh. You were right. Due to warmer climates, many animals are moving to higher elevations and altitudes to escape warming temperatures. But climate change may also be happening too quickly for most species to outrun it. In any case, moving is not always a simple solution. Entering a new territory can mean encountering more competition for food or interacting with unfamiliar species. But it is important that animals, like us, are able to adapt to their new surroundings, meaning, once again, they can adapt. Okay, well, let me ask you this. As temperatures rise in the Arctic and the sea ice melts, Polar bears are now losing their food source. They're often unable to find the sea ice that they used to hunt seals from and rest on and breed on. Is this not terrible? Or what about the puffins in the Gulf of Maine who normally eat white hake and herring? But as the oceans warm, those fish are moving farther and farther north. The puffins are trying to feed their young on butterfish instead, but baby puffins are unable to swallow the large fish, meaning 
that so many are starving to death, and this could easily cause extinction. Okay, okay. I'll say that coral reefs, which are actually colonies of individual animals called polyps, have experienced extensive bleaching as the oceans warm. When overheated, they expel the colorful symbiotic algae that live within them. Scientists studying corals around American Samoa found that many corals in pools of warmer water had not bleached. The corals living in the hot pools had evolved over many generations as natural selection favored survival of the most heat tolerant corals and enabled them to reproduce. But the corals from the cool pool exposed to hotter water were also able to adapt because they had a phenotypic plasticity. Ah, uh, yes, you mentioned phenotypic plasticity. When the ability of one genotype to produce more than one phenotype when exposed to different environments. Now, yes, though coral reefs were able to reproduce, this only happened within these waters and not any of the other oceans specifically. It is also important to recognize that when phenotypic plasticity is not protected, which is a prime example, is the green sea turtle whose sex is determined by the temperature of the sand around its egg as it, as it develops. Warmer incubation temperatures produce more females, meaning turtles are so sensitive that if their temperatures rise a few degrees Celsius more, certain areas could end up producing only females, eventually resulting in local extinctions. Yes, you're right. This is true. But like we do for each other's podcast, we like to focus on the argumentative side of our desired topics, Delaney. Allie, exactly. And thank you so much for being here today and addressing your thoughts and ideas on the truth of animals and plants adapting to climate change. Also, make sure you guys check out Allie's podcast, The Greatest Show, new episodes every week. Delaney, thank you so much for allowing me to use your platform to inform the public of this topic. It's always a pleasure to see you. Sorry, guys. I just had to tell you a crazy story. So yesterday, I went to the beach, and you would never imagine what I found in the ocean. As I was swimming along the waves, I got hit by this jellyfish looking thing but it wasn't a jellyfish it was a plastic bag disgusting but you wouldn't but you know what would solve that the package free shop who was actually our sponsor for our episode lauren singer was the founder of the package free shop a store in williamsburg brooklyn dedicated to a zero waste products is known for being able to keep four years of trust in a single mason jar, so that it makes sense to follow her lead. Among her selection of zero waste kits is one dedicated to cleaning. The drawstring produced bag includes a plant fiber dish brush, copper pot scrubbers, a spray bottle with five different cleaning solution recipes, 
which the measurements are imprinted on the bottle, a cotton unpapered towel, and a mason jar soap dispenser. If there comes a time that you want to get rid of any of these items, the proper way to break down and recycle each is also thoroughly explained within the package. Don't worry if you're not near Williamsburg. The package free ships everything too. Obviously plastic free in an upcycled or 100% post-consumer box with paper wrapping and paper tape. Make sure to get your package free shop kit today. All right, listeners, we are now going to move on to one of my favorite segments in my podcast our noteworthy mention segment, where we shine a spotlight on standout companies, solo entrepreneurs, influencers, artists, and activists. This week's special noteworthy mention is Australian philosopher Peter Singer, who 45 years ago published a book, Animal Libertation. The arguments in Maine stated that animals can suffer, and it is morally wrong to inflict extraordinary suffering upon them, and that we must have to rethink our farming and food systems that many consumers today will have heard. In the 1999 New York Profile, journalist Michael Spector wrote that Singer gave birth to the animal right movement. Singer's book, activist Ingrid Newark, wrote, what a philosophical bombshell. It forever changed the conversation about our treatment of animals. It made people, like myself included, change what we ate, what we wore, and how we perceived animals. Simply put, the animal welfare movement is not where it would be today without Singer and his book. Singer states in his article in the interview, a lot has changed, really. There has been a huge amount of change in awareness. Quite frankly, there's an animal movement now, which is concerned, which is concerned about all animals, not just about dogs and cats and horses. You know, there really wasn't anything in 1975, and it's not that there weren't any sort of tiny organizations either. There were so many vicious organizations which worked to combat the practices of animals for research, actually. But in terms of farm animals, there was really nothing going on. There was a small organization called Compassion in work world farming in the UK when I got into it, which is now a sort of quite large global organization, but it was run by one guy out of his home. Well, at least I think at the time. And there was no legislation to protect the welfare of farm animals. Now, the entire European Union has prohibited some of the worst forms of confinement that I described in animal libertation. And so has the state of California. 
And I think six or seven states in the U.S. have also had legislation protecting animals. So that is an extremely big change. I also wanted to shine the spotlight on PETA's, the company that our special guest actually worked for, but more specifically, the founder, Ingrid Newkirk, who I actually addressed earlier when speaking about our other noteworthy mention, Peter Singer. Listen in on her video, PETA's Ingrid Newkirk is all about girl power in which Newkirk talks about her journey as a woman speaking out against injustices and the ways that animal rights and women's rights have often intersected. I hope you all enjoyed Ingrid Newkirk had to say. I wanted to share these words from Newkirk because I think it is important to bring intersectionality into the fight for animals 
as well as women's rights. Being a female, I think it is so important that I use my platform in the correct way. listeners you know what time it is when you hear that sound it's time for the latest news in the media surrounding the topic for the week let's dive in to figure out what this week's news is related to this week's topic in the latest news surrounding animal reproduction it has been found that today's sharks and rays are among the most threatened animals in the world largely because of overfishing and habitat loss, another overarching stressor to the mix. So, how will sharks cope as the ocean heats up? Well, new research looks at the Port Jackson for sharks to find out. It is found that individual sharks adapt in many different ways, depending on where they came from. Port sharks. Port Jackson sharks are from cooler waters in the Great Australian Bright, found it harder to cope with rising temperatures than those living in the warmer water from the New South Wales. In Australia, the grim reality of climate change is already upon us. We are seeking intense marine heat waves and coral bleaching events. The disappearance of entire kelp forests, mangrove forest dieback, and the content-wide shifting of marine life. The southeast of Australia is a global change hotspot, with water temperatures rising at three to four times the global average. In addition to raising water temperatures, oceans are becoming more acidic and the amount of oxygen is drastically declining. Any one of those factors is a cause for concern, but all three may also be acting together. One may argue sharks have been around for millions of years and survived multiple climate catastrophes, including several global mass extinction events. To that we say life is categorized by changes in temperature and levels of carbon dioxide on a scale not seen for more than 3 million years. Rapid climate change represents an existential threat to all life on Earth, and sharks can't evolve fast enough to keep up because they tend to be long to live with a low reproductive output, meaning they don't have many pups. The time between generations is just too long to respond via natural selection. Dealing with rising temperatures, when it comes to dealing with the rising water temperature, the sharks now have two options. They can change the physiology to adapt or move toward the poles to cooler waters. Though, moving to cooler waters is one of the more obvious reasons for climate change, while subtle impacts on physiology as studied have largely been ignored to date. However, 
they can have big impacts on individuals and ultimately species, distributions, and survival. The massive shift in energy demand we observe in these sharks mean that they have to prioritize survival, which is a coping mechanism for them, over the process, such as growth and reproduction. It is consistent with several other shark species that have slower growth when exposed to warmer waters, including sharks and bonehead sharks. So why is this important? When sharks change a behavior, it affects the whole entire ecosystem. The implications range from shifts in fish stock to conservation management, such as where marine reserves marine reserves are assigned. Sharks and rays generally rank on the top or in the middle of the food chain and have critical ecosystem functions. Port Jackson sharks, for example, are predators of urchins and urchins feed on kelp forests, which is a rich habitat for hundreds of marine species. If the number of sharks decline, in a region and the number of urch urchins increase, then it could lead to the loss of a kelp forest. Within the news, we must put a stop to this. We must look into the outlets and find change to create a healthier habitat for sharks, kelp forests, and many other animals that are dealing with challenges of reproduction. <laughs> Now that we have come to an end for this episode, like always, here is the episode recap. In this episode, I overviewed the topic of animals and plants not adapting to climate change, yet offering solutions. I then discussed how animals on land and animals in the ocean are affected by climate change and the, how they are limiting, how this is limiting their reproduction cycles. I discussed how plants are adapting to their structures to stabilize themselves in warmer weather. I brought in a media outlet using Michael Moore's article on how whales are unable to reproduce due to the entanglements whales are facing. I also brought in my dearest friend, Allie, who was our skeptic for the week, to discuss her views on plants and animals within climate change. I voiced our noteworthy mention for this episode, Peter Singer, who was our animal reproduction activist, as well as female rights activist and animal rights activist, Ingrid Newkirk where we listened to her video where she explained her passion behind her right, her fight for rights. And lastly, I shared the latest news involving sharks and how they must adapt to warmer waters. Lastly, I just wanted to thank you all for sticking around and listening to my podcast and supporting me throughout this entire process. I hope I influenced you in some way to think about us being all in this together as we all change the world one step at a time. 
You all know the drill. I will see you next week as we discuss more climate change issues. More like ocean warming or transportation, carpooling, and even many more fun topics. Keep listening to all the other climate change podcasts that are to come. And lastly, keep fighting. Bye, you guys. See you next week. Thank you.